If you have your Bibles, can you turn to Genesis 3 for me? And we're going to read through verse 1 through 13. But before we get into that, I just want to introduce myself again to some of you who don't know me. My wife and I are, I'm on staff here as the youth and family minister. We uh, have moved from Clarkston, Washington to Highland Crest Baptist Church, and we want to welcome you all here. And if I haven't met you, please introduce yourself to me. Um, I, I, I see a lot of new faces, so I just wanted to get to know everybody. But my job is to come alongside families and to work with families and, with, and strengthen our student ministries. So that's our job, and that's what we came here to do, and we're excited to be with you. And we want to, again, thank you for your generous hospitality. I just, since I'm up here again, I wanted to thank you again. You have poured out your time, your resources. We even appreciate the Packers gifts. I mean, we do. <laughs> so we appreciate all that you've done for us, and we, we love you. And thank you, and transition's hard, and you guys have been wonderful, so I appreciate that. And I just wanted to say that one more time. And now, I'm filling in for Pastor Chad, and we're in a sermon series this summer, and we're talking about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is important. We've been talking about Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the full armor of God. But what we tend to not remember, and scholars have talked about this, that the, that the Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians in itself is a letter written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. It's a letter. We put the numbers in and we put the page breaks in through time for reference, but it's a letter, a full-body letter written to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 5, if you read it, talks about marriage. Ephesians 6 talks directly about putting on the full armor of God right after he gets done talking about marriage. Marriage is important. (laughs) Marriage is a theme of the Bible. In fact, it begins with Genesis with a marriage. And it ends in Revelations with the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are the bride of Christ. There's marriage references there. Marriage is important. And so we are going to talk about spiritual warfare today within the context of the marriage. This is today. Next month I'll come up and talk about spiritual warfare with raising children. But every time I talk about marriage, like, i got to get this out here. There's, there's two things i got to cover real quickly. For one, every time I talk about marriage, I always feel like the enemy's right there. Because I'm in a marriage. And my wife and I have been married for 12, 12 years. <laughs> Start off good. I'm doing well. We've been married for 12 years. In fact, our anniversary is August 1st. It's coming up. That'll be our 12th year that we've been married. So we don't have a lot of experience in the marriage world, right? There's some out here who have got a lot of experience and that can provide a lot of resources to our body and our family when it comes to marriage. We do not have the perfect marriage. I'm not going to broadcast that out there. In fact, if you want to know, just ask Kelly. She'll tell you about anything that has to do with our marriage. I'm a little more reserved. She'll tell you about everything you need to know. So i got to say that. We have applied these principles to our marriage, and it has benefited us. So I'm going to share that with you. I'm no, by no means a marriage expert, but I'm going to talk about marriage. And through our experience in our marriage, we've suffered spiritual attack. And if you do not think the enemy is after your marriage, you've got another thing coming, and we're going to talk about that. Secondly, if you are unmarried for whatever reason, you're single, maybe you're going through a life like Paul where you think that singleness is your calling, that's okay. These principles apply to all relationships. If you have gone through a divorce and suffered that, that heartache, that's okay. We love you. You're very much part of marriage ministry. And a lot of times when people come out of divorce, 
they, are, they come out knowing what the enemy's attacks are, and they become a vital resource to those who are married. So if you've gone through any circumstances that find you unmarried, these principles apply to you, and we're not leaving you out, so I just don't want you to tune me out for the next hour and 45 minutes I plan on talking. <laughs> All right? So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 13. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about the spiritual attack on marriage. Starting in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said to his unfortunateness, The woman whom you gave to me, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Pray with me. Father God, I pray for our marriages. I pray that you will help strengthen us and strengthen us as individuals and together as a unit. I just ask that you would help us to focus on you and to be able to repel the attacks of the enemy that we know are coming. God, I just ask that you would bless me as I talk about your word and the heaviness of this topic, and I just ask that you would just instill us with the importance of your word in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, truth be told, I knew the body of what I was going to speak about this week. I kind of had that figured out, but midway through the week, I, I didn't have a way to really tie it all together. Hadn't quite figured out how I was going to do this. I know you're not supposed to openly admit this, but this is where I was at. So, Wednesday, I wasn't teaching a youth service, and so I thought Wednesday was going to be my prep day. We had a family event planned, but that was pretty much all done, and so I figured I'll take that day and I'll prep. Well, what I've learned pretty quickly is that I make plans, and Wisconsin weather breaks them. (laughs) This is a a thing that I'm getting used to. So the Wisconsin weather broke our plans, and so as we were together, we were trying to come up with a plan of what we were going to do. We were supposed to go out to Bay Beach. We had a couple of things planned. We are going to get together as family units. We were going to get together as children's and youth ministries. We were also going to celebrate the life of one of our members in the church who is struggling with some medical problems, and it was his birthday, and so we were going to celebrate that, so we didn't want to cancel that by any means. And so we figured out, okay, the rain's coming. We're going to relocate this to the church. And so once I made that decision, sent the text messages out, Everybody was great. Emily got on board, Stephanie Blessman, Kim and Ginger helped out. My wife was involved in trying to help us relocate this. It got to the point that I only had one job. And I know if you give a man one job, he'll find a way to mess it up. But I only had one job. And my job was that I had to come up with the fun. 
I'm a youth pastor. Fun is what I do. I'm good with that. So I was perfectly fine with coming up with the fun. So I came over here, and I'm trying to do this quickly because I didn't have sermon prep, and I'm getting stressed. And so I come over, and I'm like, we're going to put nine square right here. Right there. It'll work out perfectly. But here's the thing. I started looking at it, and I'm like, I'm the new guy. I don't want to mess the chairs up. I don't want to forget how to put them back, so I better come up with a plan. So I did. I took pictures of the chairs. I drew myself a sketch. I counted them all out, and then I came up and I said, here's the, here's the kicker. I'm going to put masking tape on each end of the sides, and I'm going to know exactly where to put the chairs back. I came up with a plan. It was going to work. So I thought. So I did the plan, got the nine square up all by myself. Kim hasn't said so, but if she watched me on the monitor, I'm sure that was hilarious to watch me try to put that up by myself. But I got it all up. Wednesday night went off without a hitch. I can't thank you all enough who helped me. It went off. We had a good time. But as I was really getting into some nine square, I'm playing it, and I'm spiking the ball down to get somebody out who I'm not going to name here, Jason Winkle. (laughs) As I got Jason Winkle out, I looked over, and one of the little ones from in our church is pulling up the tape. All I could do was laugh in that moment, right? And so I'm like, it's all right. I got enough tape down. I'll figure it out. I'll plan it all together. I'll, I'll mix and match it. I'll do something to get these chairs back. So I come down the next day to put the chairs back, and it's more than just one piece of tape. It's not, it's not at all constructed the way that I had hoped it would be. Now I've got the people who normally sit over there. Mike's like, I knew it. I knew I didn't. This doesn't feel right right now. This is different. I apologize. That's my fault. So I had made a plan. And it didn't go as I wanted it to. And I thought to myself, isn't that how it is in our marriage? Isn't that how the enemy attacks us in our marriage? It's not the big grandiose thing from day one. Day one from marriage, the devil doesn't come to you and say, I think you should get divorced today. Day one, he doesn't come to you and say, I think you should step out of your marriage. You should look at things online that will get you addicted and in trouble. That doesn't happen day one. I don't think law enforcement shows up on domestic violence situations on day one. Okay, I worked in law enforcement. It happened occasionally, but that's usually not how it would happen. It doesn't happen on day one. It's that little subtle pulling of the tape. Pulling of the tape wasn't necessarily my problem. The problem was, and here's the big idea, is that I forgot how to put the chairs back. I forgot what it looked like. And in our marriage, after so much subtleness, we forget who our spouse is. And that's the big idea. We forget that we're under attack and we forget who our spouse is. And I'm not talking about we forget who our spouse is on, oh, when we were dating, it was this way. Or I want to remember what it was like when we first were going to rekindle our romance. Those types of things. Those are important. I'm not not saying that. I'm talking about we forget who our spouse was created to be. Created to be. We forget. And that causes a lot of our problems. It doesn't solve every problem in marriage, but we forget who our spouse was created to be. So the answer to that question is in the Word, in the Scripture. Who is our spouse created to be? I'm going to go into Genesis real quick. It's just the next page over, and I'm going to look at who our spouse was created to be. Genesis 2, 18 through 20. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. 
The man gave name to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. This verse has always given me pause, always given me trouble. And my teacher, when I was growing up, always told me, if you find a verse that gives you pause, sit there for a minute. Really dig into it. Figure out what it is. My question always was, and this is not a man-woman thing, we can make it that, but my question was is, what did Adam need help with? Has anybody ever thought this, or is it just me? What, is, what exactly does Adam need help with? I know he has two, three jobs at this point. He's to have dominion over the land, so he's a, he's a farmer, where the field isn't giving him any problems yet. He's to name all the animals, and he's to not eat it with a tree. What else does he need help with? We live in very complicated lives, so I'm thinking, I could, I could probably do three things. Now all the ladies are in the room are like, uh-uh. Leave my man home for 10 minutes, and it all goes bad. I know exactly why he needs a helper. But I'm asking myself as I'm reading this, what did he need help with? Why was it not good for him to be alone? And I, I, I always wondered that question. So my teachers have always said, dig into it. Figure out what it is that he needs help with. Is it just that he's lonely? The, the text has already told us that he's without clothes, so it's not like he needs somebody to dress him, right? I have no fashion sense. What I'm wearing right now, I didn't pick out myself. I can tell you that right now. I know enough that like when Joey will come downstairs some days, I'm like, mm-mm, you are not going to pass inspection with mom. Get back up the stairs, right? What exactly does he need help with? That has always bothered me. Is it just that he's lonely? And so I went to the text. I'm going to put some of it up here. The interesting thing is it's the Hebrew word that's used there. The Hebrew word is called the Edzer Connecto, and I don't know if I can get this to come up on the board so I can... We'll get it to come up on the board here. <laughs> hey, there we are. The Eds are connected. There's not going to be a test on this. But that's the word that's used to describe helper for him and what type of helper it is. It's the Eds are And so when I really went down and I broke this word down, it hit me what he needs help with. If you look at the term Edser, maybe it's not. There you go. The word is used for helper in Genesis in 2.18 and 2.20. That's the word that's used for the term helper, but it's used often in the Bible, and it is almost always used in two contexts. Israel, who's in need of a military assistance, or God showing up to help Israel as their helper in a military-type thing. It's almost showed up in all of those types of contests. Military, adversary, battle, he's fighting a foe, something to that effect. I'll give you some verses here, hopefully. Psalms 121, 1 through 2. Here's an example. Most of you can sing this. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help, my etzer, come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. That's the same root word, etzer. Hosea 13:9. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against him, against your helper. God's passing judgment Onto the nation of Israel. He, they have turned against God, who is their etzer, their helper. He's helping them in battle. Exodus 18.4, this is, this is Moses talking to his father-in-law, describing God, describing God. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help, my etzer, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. This is battle language. 
battle language. Moses is giving his final blessings to the nation of Israel before he passes. And this he said to Judah. Judah is a tribe of Israel. Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah and bring him to his people with your hands. Contend for him to be his help, his etzer, against his adversaries. Against who? His adversaries. Last one. It's got a typo. Ignore that. The editing department had a problem. That's me. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, your etzer, the shield of your etzer, and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and shall tread upon their backs. Then it hit me. I looked out all these examples of the word etzer and how it was used, and I realized something. God knows something that I don't. Ta-da, right? He knows all and is all foreknowledge the type of problems Adam was going to face. He knows who Adam's adversary is. He knows what was coming for him. Do you? Do you know what comes for you? Because God does. That's the helper. That is, that's why God gave Adam Eve. That's why we have our spouse. Our spouse is our helper throughout the life's battles, not our enemy. We need to remember that's who they are created for. They are our helper through life's battles. If you want to run the word out again, you get this word connecto, etzer connecto, and you've, this is just a fun experiment as you talk about Adam and Eve. The NIV translates it as, I will make a helper suitable for him. How many have heard that? Lots. ESV says, I will make him a helper fit for him. So different word uses. The translator's having a hard time. We go down to the King James Version. Okay, so all you King James people have to explain this to me. I checked it multiple times. But it reads, I will make him an helpmeet for him. So you have three different translations, three different kind of versions of this word. And the CSB Holman Version translated, I will make a helper who is like him. So the translators are having some difficulty with the word connecto. It's because it doesn't translate well to the English. So here's, if you break the root word down, the ke for the connecto means as or like. So our helper is like us in the sense that we're both human. They are like us. The neged or the nego is opposite or against. So I cleared this up for you, didn't I? They are like us, but opposite against. I can stop now. Clear as mud, right? So we have a helper who is like opposite us. We have a helper who is like against him, against us. So what does that mean? Well, this is the visual aid because it's the only way I can do this. (laughs) So you're a suitable helper. The spouse who's made for you are like these two boards here. These two boards are similar, right? Are they going in the same direction? No. They are opposite. They are resting against each other. They have propped each other up. They are ready for battle. If I remove one of these boards, what happens? They can't stand on their own. Your spouse is different from you. Different, different gender, different all that stuff. I know it's a dangerous word to say sometimes. But they are. Your spouse is different from you. Now, I know I'm probably going to be the only one in the room to admit this. But how many of you have ever gone... I've made this decision, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm charging ahead. And my wife has been smarter than me and said, 
Have you thought about this? No, 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 I haven't. I haven't thought that out. Okay, just me? Okay, I get it. So your spouse is there for you to make, to help you make those types of decisions, to point you through God's law. And here's where this principle, I teach this to youth. Here's how this principle applies. If you do not have a friend who can teach you or help you to make that decision, like, I don't know that, I don't think God would want you to make that decision, oppose you in this way, it's not a good friend. If you are in leadership and you don't surround yourself with people who are willing to say to you, ah, you may want to reconsider that, is that how God would want you to handle that? You better surround yourself with people who will do that. This is the, this is the visual picture of the helper that God provides. So we need to remember who our spouse is designed to be for us. They are our helper through the battles of life, not our enemy. The second thing we need to remember is that we do have, we do indeed have an enemy. As Americans, we live pretty comfortable lives and we lull ourselves into this complacent mindset in our marriages and then the enemy just picks it apart ever so subtly like the pulling up of the tape. Ever so slightly. If we look at the text, the snake is more craftier than any other beast. The word crafty there can also be translated a different way and I've said it a couple times. Subtle. Subtle. A good leader friend of mine said, you are what you walk past. So if there are subtle things in your marriage, we need to deal with them. And we need to address them. Because we are what we walk past. The other issue in this particular passage, and it brings it out, is that we, I've heard this taught, and I'm not saying it's completely wrong, but I've heard it taught in the way that, well, when, when Adam's gone, Eve is tempted. I know people have heard that, right? But the text says she gave the fruit to her husband who was what? With her. What is Adam doing here? Nothing. How many times have we said this? I didn't do anything. That's the problem. You didn't do anything. That's the problem. If we see our family, and I've said this before, Satan will try to take leadership of your family if men, if we step outside of that. If you don't lead your family, Satan will. We have an enemy, and he is roaming, and he's looking to do damage to your marriage. That is the primal battlefield for the enemy. We have an enemy. Here's the other thing, too. Again, I'm talking to the men in the room. Here's the other thing. It's probably not the best idea to blame shift. It's the woman that you gave me caused this problem. It's not going to get you very far. Who sinned first in this, in this context? Who sins first? Eve. Not a trick question. Eve sins first. Who does God call for? Adam. Men, you will be held responsible for how you lead your families. And if you don't, something will show up to replace your leadership. And the first question asked in the Bible, ironically enough, is where are you? I never want to be asked that question. So men, we need to lead our families. We do have an enemy. The third principle, that, and the third big idea that we need to remember, the third thing we need to remember is this. And it's found in Genesis again, and I'll read it real quickly. It's found in verse 1. 
28, or correction, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Man and female, he created them spouses. Your spouse has been created in the image of the living God, and we forget that. We forget that. We try to heap on things, on them, that covers that image. You make me do this. We're always late. You, t- you don't put the toilet seat down. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just throwing these out there. These aren't actual things. <laughs> but we heap these things on our spouses and we cover them with that so where we can't see the image, we see the broken things that we put on them and that's for, because we are filled with the world's expectations. I expect this, I didn't get this, so I cover you with this, and that is pulling up the tape. The subtle pulling up the tape until we're, the only thing we see in our spouse is what we put on them. Spoiler alert, this works outside your marriage. If I remember that my human being race is made in the image of the living God, I don't have a law like the three-fifth compromise. I don't have racism as a problem. The only way abortion exists or is allowed is because we have to view that child as less than human. The Holocaust never happens if we believe that we are all made in the image of the living God and we forget this. This applies more to our marriage. But the person that you see most is the person that we try to put things on to cloud that image. That's the enemy. We don't fight against each other. We fight against the dominion of the enemy. That's the enemy. And lastly, what we forget, and this is if you are married to a believer, and I'm going to stress this as, as importantly as I can here. If you're married to a believer, John chapter 1 says, for those who have received him, for those who believed in his name, he's given the right to become Children of God. If your spouse has committed their life to following Jesus, if you're sitting next to somebody who's following Jesus, they are a child of the living God who bears God's image. Let me give you a philosophical illustration for this. I am a father of a daughter. Say hi, McKenna. I am a father of a daughter. I'm going to ask for pre-forgiveness for the first man who ever shows up to court my daughter. I feel sorry for that, and I'm fully aware that, that as I say this, this young man could be in the room. <laughs> right? <laughs> I am super protective of my daughter. How many men with daughters in the room? Raise your hands. My daughter is not perfect. My daughter has flaws. My daughter makes mistakes. Anybody, any man in here with a daughter, anybody have a perfect daughter? No. They all make mistakes. Does that change the love you have for your daughter? 
Absolutely not. It's a crazy, irrational type of love. Crazy and irrational type of love. And if I'm capable of that crazy and irrational type of love, is God? Oh, yeah. Now, ladies, I'm not, I'm not going to let you off the hook here. I'm not going to let you off the hook. You all have some things with your sons. No, no uh, woman's ever going to be good enough for your sons. Does any of this sound familiar? Don't look around. It's all you. <laughs> There's a crazy kind of love that a mom has for her sons. Joey must have been, I'm going to tell us real quick. I'm going to be in deep trouble. I'm going to, Joey must have been like six or seven months old, could sit up on his own. And I'm in uh, the, the, by the crib, and I'm there with him, and we're hanging out, and I'm folding laundry or doing something like that. And, and he ends up falling over, and he lets out a cry. Now, I'm with the child. I'm just standing right there. And so as I go to pick up the child, my wife, like Brian Erlacher's me. From, sorry, that reference is probably not good. Clay Matthews is me off the side and knocks me over to get to, the, to get to Joey. And I'm like, I'm looking at her like, really? Crazy kind of irrational kind of love. Now, my son is not perfect, and I love him, and she loves him. Our children are not perfect. It's an irrational kind of love that we as broken humans are capable of. Can you imagine how God feels about his sons and daughters? Men, all of you men who are married, you are married to a daughter of God. Imagine that if that were your daughter. Ladies, you are married to a son of of God. Imagine if that was your son. We're crazy of irrational kinds of love. We get that from God. That's exactly how he feels. So we forget that we are married to a child of the living God if we are believers in Christ. We need to remember these things. Now this isn't a fix-all for every marriage And I know that these things are complicated and nuances. But if we remember these things, these biblical principles, we can strengthen our marriages. We can strengthen our entire relationships. So as the praise team comes up to close us out, I want to pray for our marriages. And I want to pray for our relationships. And if you feel... Like you've just got a, the devil's got a foothold in your marriage and you feel like we've clothed each other with all the wrong stuff. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. And we have resources. And like I said, I am not an expert in marriage, but I know some people who are pretty good at this kind of thing. So let me pray for your marriage. Father God, we love you. And we thank you for being who you are and being able to instill us with a little bit of the love that you are capable of. And I just ask that we remember who you've created our spouse to be. I just ask that you, cre- you help us to remember that this, our spouse is created in your image and in your likeness and that they are a daughter and son of the living God. And I just ask that you would help us to remember who our enemy is and that you've given us the tools and clothed us with the armor of God. I thank you for your word that we have the opportunity to go back to it And use it as a roadmap to help us in these situations. And we thank you and we love you for giving us that type of love. And I thank you that you have given us all spouses who can be helpers for us. 
In Jesus' precious name, amen.